It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Maria Bartiromo. I'm Greg Gutfeld. I'm Tammy Bruce. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, May 12th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. She's not backed by former President Trump. One of her Pennsylvania Senate GOP rivals is, but she's climbing the polling ladder ahead of next week's primary, and she thinks she knows why. What we say in a state like this is, oh, let's get a moderate because that person will win. And again, I go back to these past two years. How has that worked out for us? I'm Dave Anthony. Supreme Court justices who may overturn the legalization of abortion keep facing protests outside their homes. Our judges are to be protected because without our judges, our democracy will fall apart. And wait till you hear why Judge Esther Salas is worried. And I'm Cal Thomas. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Before former President Trump backed Dr. Mehmet Oz in the Pennsylvania Senate Republican primary, hedge fund CEO and military veteran Dave McCormick was at times ahead in the polling. But in mid to late April, Oz started to surpass McCormick, not by much, but enough. And you're going to send Dr. Oz to fight for you in the U.S. Senate? Trump and Oz rallied together just this past weekend, with Oz asking voters how much they love the former president. Has Joe Biden made us miss him even more? McCormick and Oz have been engaged in a TV ad battle, each spending millions. McCormick questions Oz's conservative credentials. You've got a track record that's completely opposite the positions you're saying now, and the Pennsylvania voters need to know. And some Pennsylvanians have expressed doubt that Oz was the right pick, but Trump said he needs to go with someone who can win in November. Pennsylvania is a swing state. President Biden won in 2020 by little more than a point. President Trump won in 2016 by a little less than a point. Now, despite this crowded Senate primary, one woman has emerged to take on the two top pollers. Kathy Barnett. In the latest Fox News poll that came out this week, Barnett comes in with 18 percent support, just one point behind McCormick, four points behind Oz. Out of note, among those who say they are extremely interested in the race, she is the favorite. Most people feel as though something has gone fundamentally wrong with how our nation is being governed and they're unnerved by it. Kathy Barnett is a Pennsylvania Republican Senate candidate. When you're looking at how our nation is being ran today, what we've lived through these past two years, people are looking for a leader, someone who will reflect their voices, their values, who will stand up for them. And I believe that is what they see in me. You've spent, I don't know how much on TV ads compared to your top polling rivals. I think they've spent each over like $11 million and you've spent what I was reading was like 140,000. If it if it's not TV ads that's getting into people's heads, then w- what is it? Is it the debates? I mean, how are they hearing about you? How are they learning about you? We've been spending over 1,500 miles a week on the road all across the Commonwealth, uh, not just going to the Republican committees, but going to people's homes and wherever the people are. <laughs> And spending time with them. I tell you, there is nothing like grassroots. And when you talk to most of these high-powered campaigns, they look at grassroots as just a box 
to check on their to-do list. And what I've done is recognizing that I can't go toe-to-toe with television ads. So I'm going to have to take my message directly to the people. People, again, these are very real feelings that something has gone wrong with our country is going straight to the heart for, for, for the most part, the majority of Americans here and specifically Pennsylvanians. Talk to me about your your top two rivals. We know Dr. Oz has been endorsed by the former president, Donald Trump, and those who don't feel Dr. Oz is conservative enough. We've heard a lot that they've gone with David McCormick, a hedge fund CEO and a, a military veteran. Why do you think we know the conservative argument, right, that, that we've we've heard that and we've discussed that about Dr. Oz. But when people then look at other candidates, why do you think some maybe chose you instead of David McCormick. I'm asking you to, I guess, compare yourself to Mr. McCormick. You know, I find all of them to be really great guys. And yet I'm not looking for my next best friend. And I don't think most (laughs) Pennsylvanians are looking for their next best friend. I can't stress it enough of when you have your children's schools being shut down, when you see concerned parents at schools now being labeled domestic terrorists, there is something so wrong about all of that. And it goes straight to the core of who we are as Americans. And so then those same voters are coming to the table, looking at these two men spending, I think, well over $60 million combined on television ads. They can't get out of the low 20s in any of the polls. So one, they're thinking to themselves, if you're so reckless with your own spending, what are you going to do when you get your hands on my money in Washington, D.C.? Are you suddenly going to become a fiscal conservative? I don't think so. So that's one aspect of it. But then you're looking at Mamet Oz, for example, in his entire public career. He has given a platform to some very left-leaning ideologies. And most people can't think of a time or have not seen a time when he used that platform to push America first. Money is not good nor bad, but how you've acquired that money is up for scrutiny. And so when you look at McCormick, he has very strong ties to China. I know he talks a lot about being tough on China, but China is primarily one of the reasons why he's so rich. Is he really going to bite the hand that feeds him? No one gets access to their market without you know, selling themselves out to the one China way. People understand that. This race, as other GOP primaries, um, they seem pretty much overwhelmed by former President Trump, who he's endorsed, who he hasn't endorsed. Will his pick win? What does it say about his power? But you hit on something that Politico captured, and I'm, I'm interested in this. They, they write, if Barnett is surging, it would show that parts of the MAGA movement have outpaced Trump himself. And then they quote you. You said MAGA does not belong to President Trump. Our values never shifted to Trump's values. It was President Trump who shifted and aligned with ours. Tell me, tell me more about that. Most of us equate MAGA to America first, right? 
but America has been America first since 1776. <laughs> that is what has made our country so great is by putting our interest first. And that did not start in 2016. That is what has made us who I believe to be the greatest nation that has ever existed. And so what attracted me to President Trump in 2016 is that he was speaking what I was thinking at the mm. time. And it wasn't that I aligned to him. It was that what he was talking about aligned with what I was talking about. And then we saw his policies, regardless of what you think about the man, his policies, when you compare and contrast to the policies we're living under today, are far superior so when he talked about securing our border wall, when he talked about first safe asylum, when he talked about remain in Mexico, those things are what we were talking about, mm. how he made our nation energy independent. Um, so, again, it was Trump's policies that aligned with what we believed uh, was best. Kathy, now that you are rising in the polls, I imagine you're sort of thinking, well, what if I do win? your likely opponent would be John Fetterman. How do you play that? I mean, do you run the risk in a state like Pennsylvania that is very swingish, swingy, if you will, that you come across as too far to the right if you're mm -hmm. running against somebody like a, like a Fetterman? Yeah. And my response is, what's too far to the right about anything that I've spoken about? Uh, what's too far to the right on the border? Let's just start with that. In October of last year, we had 1.7 million unlawfully present people come into our country. Those are just the ones we've come in contact with. Uh, this year, we're looking, we're trending at 4 million. Me wanting and, and would be advocating vigorously for securing our borders, putting back in place Remain in Mexico, putting back in place and enforcing uh, first safe asylum so people don't cross over three different countries until they get to America to request asylum. What's extreme about that? That makes sense to me. And I think it makes sense to the overwhelming majority of Americans. Energy independence. What is extreme about uh, wanting America to be energy independent? That would be my question, because what we say in a state like this is, oh, let's get a moderate because that person will win. And again, I go back to these past two years. How has that worked out for us? <laughs> How many of those moderates were willing to use their platform to stand up for the people here in Pennsylvania? Some did, but not enough. Before we let you go, can you share with our listeners who do not watch debates in Pennsylvania about your personal story? Uh, it's been called by many very compelling. And what about that personal story sort of shaped you as a conservative? Yeah, you know, um, like most issues. I come to them not because I read about them in a book or because I inherited it, right? I come to most issues from the perspective that it's a part of my own personal journey. I didn't come to my understanding about how to get out of poverty because I read about it. I grew up in a home with no insulation, no running water, an outhouse in the back and a well on the side. It was extremely impoverished. And so I come to it from that perspective. And likewise, with my perspective on being pro-life, I am the byproduct of a rape. My mother was 11 years old when I was conceived. My father was 21. And my mother was too young to make a decision on her own. 
obviously, but there were adults in the room, my grandparents who came alongside my mother and they saw what was growing in my mother's body and they valued it. And I am so grateful. I'm completely unapologetic that they saw value in my life and that they allowed me to live. And again, allow allow me to say, I have never glorified how I was conceived. I have a 13-year-old daughter. I could not imagine something so wrong, so horrible coming upon my baby. And yet there I was. And so we have to have this discussion. I'm grateful that our nation is having this discussion. Did you... Did you ever know your your father or meet him? Yes. You know, it was a very small town. It was a one-stop sign town. So everyone knew everyone. I have to ask, um, like you just said about your daughter, you know, you wouldn't be here had your mother had an abortion. But today, in 2022, do you think 11-year-olds like your mother should be forced to, to keep their children if they were raped? There are options. Um, And as your senator here in Pennsylvania, I would work um, very hard to provide options to come alongside young uh, women who find themselves in some very difficult circumstances. But I also believe in America and the greatest nation that has ever existed, that I can walk and chew gum at the same time and not only vigorously provide options and support for people who find themselves in very challenging situations, but also to do so for the baby as well. That is a life. And I am here to tell you that I was alive then and I am still alive today. <laughs> and, um, and I'm just so very grateful. I'm so very grateful for my country. I'm so very great. That allowed me to be able to claw myself from underneath that rock and create a different narrative for myself. But I'm equally grateful that my mother had adults in her life that saw value in me. I'm unapologetic about that. Wow. Kathy Burnett, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Cal Thomas with your Fox News commentary coming up. It's happened for days. Our party! Our choice! Protests outside Supreme Court justices' homes. That was in front of Samuel Alito's house. He is the one who authored that leaked draft opinion showing conservative justices ready to overturn the ruling that legalized abortion, angering pro-choice activists who are being condemned by Republicans like Senator Marco Rubio. The message behind showing up at someone's house is, we know where you live. We're going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to make your family uncomfortable. Congressman Darrell Issa tells Fox Business. But the fact is, we have a law against uh, intimidating judges and justices, uh, and it's on the books for a good reason. But Democrats insist. They have a First Amendment right to be there in protest. There's protests three, four times a week outside my house. That's the uh, the American way to peacefully protest is okay. And Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib agrees with Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer on that, telling Fox she also gets protested all the time. I welcome it in many ways, as long as it's not, you know, uh, violent rhetoric. Well, what if it 
is violent, and it's not just threats. The public debate belongs in the public arena. Esther Salas is a federal judge at the U.S. District Court in New Jersey. I I really do have concerns about us taking uh, these issues to the personal and private residences of the justices or any judge for that matter. And when you hear her horror story, you'll understand those concerns. Judges uh, have tough calls to make. Uh, Sometimes the calls upset one side or the other or many individuals in between. But we need to be able to do our job without fear of retribution, retaliation or death. And that requires that we understand some of the boundaries that the rule of law mandates and that we show the world and the American public that our judges are to be protected because without our judges, our democracy will fall apart. Now, in Congress this week, they are moving to provide extra security to Supreme Court justices, much like members of Congress might have or, or, or say, uh, uh, an elected official might have or the president might have extra security because of the threat possibly of violence with all these protests. I assume you think that's a good move. Uh, what that uh, bill does essentially is it grants broader police protection to the immediate family members of the justices and offices of the Supreme Court. That's all it does. So we need to be clear on what this emergent legislation is going to do. It's just going to authorize the United States Marshals and the Supreme Court police the authority to protect immediate family members of the justices. So I want to be clear that that emergent legislation would be unnecessary at this point had they passed the Daniel Anderl Judicial Security and Privacy Act. It would have been unnecessary because the bill that I have been urging the members of Congress to pass for months now would have sealed justices' home addresses would have sealed federal judges' home addresses, social security information, and other personally identifiable information. And what makes sense is protecting all federal judges. And what makes sense is protecting our personally identifiable information. Because we know that that information has been and will continue to be used by people wishing to harm us, people wishing to threaten us, people wishing to intimidate us. You... You referenced, Daniel, the bill named for your son. 2020, I know this is uh, awful for you to even, I'm sure, talk about, but what happened to him happened at your home. So it it was July uh, 19, 2020. Uh, We had just finished a birthday weekend celebration for my son. His actual birthday is uh, July 13th. But because of COVID and things that we were trying to work out, we agreed to move his celebration to to the weekend after his actual birthday. And he turned 20. Is that right? He turned 20. So we we, we planned this birthday celebration that started on Friday with a party at the house, tried our best to socially distance everybody. And then, of course, a group of kids uh, left and some stayed and they went to the beach on Saturday. And and then on Sunday, the last friend left at at noon. Uh, So we went to church, uh, came back. He was still resting at about four-ish. My husband started to stir because it was time to clean up. And Daniel came down and we began cleaning up the house. And we somehow ended up in the basement. And Daniel and I 
have, I say have, because uh, I still have a, a very special relationship with my son, even though he's not on, on earth anymore. But sure. we, we have a, a, a very a great relationship. And, and on July 19th, like every other time before, Daniel was eager to talk to me about his life, what was going on, what concerned him, what things were on his mind. And we were having one of those deep conversations that we always do. And Daniel turned, he was actually swinging up a, a wiffle ball bat And he said, Mom, keep talking to me. I love talking to you. And just as he said that, it was like a cue, a ring doorbell. The doorbell rang. And Daniel's expression changed from serene and comfort to concern and alarm. And he immediately went, who is that? And before I could stop him, he just bolted up those stairs. His father couldn't even stop him. He was like on a mission. And he opened that door and little is known about what was exchanged between the shooter and my son. But we do know that according to the FBI, my son was not going to let that man step one foot into our foyer. Oh, my God. And yeah, Daniel took a direct hit to the chest and literally fell back uh, with his arms out in a cross position. And at that point, my husband screamed, Oh no. And he started trying to charge the shooter and the shooter just kept shooting him. Mark would, Mark wouldn't go down. Mark just kept taking the shot, going forward, taking the shot. Mark got hit three times, but the bullets hit five different parts of his body. Good grief. Yeah. So when I heard that, it was like mini bombs going off, mini bombs. The foyer was a a lower ceiling, so it felt like mini bombs. So you're hearing the shots and the screams and you're just, uh, you can't, I mean. I'm in the basement. And at, at that point I scream, what is happening? And I run up those stairs and um, I didn't know what I was going to see, but what I saw, no mother should ever have to see. No. And that was my son uh, clenching his tr- chest, um, my husband crawling to the porch, outside the porch, trying to get a license plate. Oh. Um, and I just I just threw myself at the side of Daniel, lifted up his shirt and, and saw the bullet hole. And just um, by then, Mark was crawling back. I didn't realize how hurt Mark was. Um, but we, we sat there and as I, you know, I, I've said to people before, but I'll say to you, Mr. Anthony, you know, as a parent, you, you watch this life come into the world and it's such a special moment that everyone can relate to who's a parent in any, you know, and then you're seeing this life fade away. And it is, um, it is a feeling that one should never have to experience but when you are experiencing it, you realize the, 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 the gift that God gives us all wow. to, to earth and to have life and to have loved ones. And, and I just look at my life and I say that it's been a gift. And Daniel was a gift to Mark and, and me. And I am so very grateful. But I don't even know how you tell that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Just listening to it, knowing that, you know, I have a, you know, a son and, you know, I couldn't imagine what you had to deal with. But that all happened because the gunman was angry at you as a judge. Yeah. Yeah. It all happened because I was doing my job. 
and only because I was doing my job and because of intolerance and hatred and racism and sexism. It happened because of hate and fear. And and that's the message that I, I really hope I can start to spread, which is we need to stop. Stop hating each other. Stop being so divided. We need to start being willing to listen to differences of opinion. We need to try to realize that we have to come from places that are more pure, that are more compassionate, that are more kind. We have to be willing to work together. But we're talking about with these protests and, and, and outside the conservative justices, homes of the Supreme Court, we're talking about as passionate an issue as you can get. And and the sides are so dug in the, the, the pro-choice side of the women's right to choose being fundamental. That's that they're they're dug in so deep on that one, just like the people on the other side who are anti-abortion and believe that that babies are being murdered. How can you find a common ground in those two sides. I mean, and the courts in the middle of it. How can we not start trying to work together? How can we not start trying to understand that the rule of law mandates that we follow the law? Um, because without the rule of law, we will have anarchy. Now, the gunman who showed up at your home, he later committed suicide. You yes. moved on and you went back to work. And you're still doing your job as a federal judge. How difficult was that for you? You know, um, every day is difficult. I don't want to sugarcoat the depths of my grief. um, And I don't want to minimize what Mark and I have been through. But I will tell you that I am a woman of faith. uh, And I am a spiritual woman. And I have asked every day that God give me the strength to do the best job I can do uh, on a daily basis. I wake up with gratitude every morning. I thank God and Daniel for another day. And I promise them that I'm gonna try to be the best version of me that I possibly can be. Sometimes I'm better than others. Sometimes I'm stronger than other times. But I'll tell you what, I'm never. I'm never without hope. I'm never without faith. And I'm never without my desire to try to help other judges protect their families. We cannot wait for some other tragedy to befall some poor, unsuspecting family. I just hope this helps. Judge Esther Salas from the District Court in New Jersey. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Mr. Anthony. God bless. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to Tyrus and Tim. Every week, Fox Nation host Tyrus and Fox News contributor Kat Tim give their hot takes, explore weird headlines, and share amusing stories. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Cal Thomas. What's on your mind? 
Irony doesn't begin to explain why pro-choice activists chose Mother's Day weekend to picket the homes of Justice Brett Kavanaugh and Chief Justice John Roberts, who appear ready to overturn Roe versus Wade. In an age when there appears to be fewer consequences for violating moral and statutory laws, demonstrators and protesters outside the Supreme Court building seem to have violated at least two federal laws in the abortion at any time Biden administration, which refuses to enforce immigration laws, it seems unlikely these laws will be enforced. Here are excerpts from two federal laws should the Justice Department need to be reminded of them. 18 U.S. Code 1507, called picketing or parading, states, quote, whoever with the intent of interfering with, obstructing, or impeding the administration of justice, or with the intent of influencing any judge, juror, witness, or court officer in the discharge of his duty, pickets or parades in or near a building housing a court of the United United States or in or near a building or residence occupied or used by such judge shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than one year or both, unquote. Well, that seems clear, doesn't it? Does language mean anything? Or as liberals think about the Constitution, does the law say what judges intended to say or wish it had said or would have said if they'd written it? Here's a companion federal law that says, in part, whoever corruptly or by threats or by any threatening letter or communication endeavors to influence, intimidate, or impede any grand or petted juror or office in or of any court of the United States can potentially be found guilty and face imprisonment for not more than 10 years, a fine under this title, or both. How would the Justice Department characterize demonstrations and picketing outside the homes of justices? What label under existing law would they apply to picketers and shouters outside the Supreme Court building? If protesters were not trying to intimidate and influence conservative justices, why were they there? Shouldn't the public expect laws to be enforced? They are for most average people who can be convicted by a court, spend time in prison, and be forced to pay fines for violating those laws. Why is the debate about abortion and illegal immigration placed in a separate category in a government now dominated by Democrats. The refusal to enforce laws equally has contributed to a decline in the public's trust in our institutions. A Gallup poll showed that between 2019 and 2020, when the pandemic took hold, faith in every institution surveyed, including public schools, the presidency, and Congress, dropped. Only the police showed an increase in confidence, and remarkably, that was when the left's defund the police movement was at its height. Today's left is concerned only with outcomes that conform to their worldview. They were fine with striking down all state laws prohibiting abortion. They cheered when prayer and Bible reading were removed from public schools. Now that the shoe is on the right foot and not the left, the court has become a pariah. They can't have it both ways, though they're trying. I'm Cal Thomas. Listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up to the minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download, listen, and be inspired with Lauren Green's Lighthouse Faith. Fox News religion correspondent Lauren Green uses her wealth of stories to take the listener on a unique journey of spiritual discovery. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.